My name is Paul Shulman, and uh, I will be your guest host tonight on the Ecology Hour. Uh, we're talking to the Mendocino Trail Stewards about um, planned logging in the Jackson State Forest and uh, what kind of impacts might happen from that and what we're doing about it. Um, but let me let you know that uh, support for KZYX comes from our members in the Gallery Bookshop, currently open for in-person browsing and phone orders seven days a week from 10.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. And you can call them at 937-2665. They also offer curbside pickup, mail order, local delivery, and online browsing and ordering. More information at Gallery Bookshop dot com okay welcome and uh, i'm joined here uh with uh members of the mendocino trail stewards which is a fairly new group uh working on um bringing awareness to uh what's going on in jackson demonstration state forest and um uh, let me go ahead and introduce the guests. And I should also add this disclaimer that I myself, Paul Schulman, uh, are, I am also a member of the group Mendocino Trail Stewards. Uh, so we'll be talking with each other and sharing with you uh, what we're finding out. And so I am joined by uh, three folks. Uh, First is uh, musician and, mach and machinist, Gene, Gene Parsons. And How'd he do? He's been living next door to Jackson Demonstration State Forest for 50 years. And so I, I think he'll have some things to share. Um, let me also give an uh, introduction to Marie Jones. She's hey, a graduate of Mendocino High School and uh, served as community development director for the city of Fort Bragg for 13 years. She's now executive director of Jug Handle Creek Farm, and she chairs the Mendocino County Climate Action Committee. Uh, and she's also a commissioner on the Mendocino County Planning Board. And she uh, runs her own consulting business, lives with her partner, a horse, two donkeys, and a passel of chickens. <laughs> and she enjoys riding on the Casper Trail system. And lastly, I'm joined by Sam Goldberger. And after he received a PhD in neurophysiology at Princeton, Sam Goldberger went to into private practice in California and then realized that rather than helping people to adjust to a world out of balance, he decided to explore how to help rebalance the world. No small task. He worked at Lawrence Berkeley Labs, first as a passive solar architect, and then as executive director of the American Council for an Energy Efficient Economy. Then he got into children's environmental education, windmill ins installation, and, and, and then recognizing the importance of capital flow in shaping the relationship between human and natural communities. He works with the World Bank and the Grameen Bank 
of Bangladesh focused upon domestic sustainable development and equal eco services valuation, which is something he'll be talking with us about tonight. But what brings us all here is uh, that just recently, I think first in late April, early March, uh, folks started finding out about plans that were being made to to uh, log areas in the western end of the Jackson Demonstration State Forest. And uh, the more we looked into it, the more plans there were, <laughs> and the more extensive they were. And, uh, and so uh, we, we formed a group called the Mendocino Trail Stewards. It was kind of an offshoot initially of the, uh, of the Mendocino Cycling Club. Uh, there's quite a few uh, mountain bikers back in Jackson Demonstration State Forest. So they're kind of like the canaries on the coal mine. They started seeing uh, signs of this happening and got word about it. So here we are. Um, <clears throat> probably it'd be good to give a little uh, history uh, of, of the background of Jackson Demonstration State Forest. I'm happy to hand it over if anybody wants to take that on or I can continue. Is anybody there? Okay, Go for I, got it, Paul. I got it. Okay, so uh, let's see. Well, why is it called Jackson Demonstration State Forest? Oh, and where is it? We, we have listeners that might not be familiar with this place. So this is a, a 48 1,652 acre uh, piece of land that is owned by the state of California. And it's it's California's largest demonstration state forest. I think there's uh, eight altogether. Um, it's also, I think, the largest. Uh, yes, it it. It's the largest one that the state holds, and it, and it sits right in the middle of Mendocino County, stretching long from west to east between uh, the coastal communities of Casper and uh, Fort Bragg and Mendocino, and it stretches east to the backside of Willis, essentially. And um, it's, it's called Jackson State Forest because uh, originally, it was owned by uh, a Jacob Green Jackson, uh, who came from Vermont and uh, bought uh, a mill down on Casper Creek in uh, 1864. He bought this mill and then started acquiring more and more land around and until uh, he was able to form the Casper Lumber Company in 1880. And eventually become one of the largest uh, uh, sellers of timber in California at the time. Um, as I understand it, a whole lot of the trees of, of this area uh, were shipped down to help build San Francisco in the first place and then to build it a second time after the earthquake and fire. Um, <clears throat> and so in general, that whole period of time from the 1860s up to 1940s on the whole North Coast was a time of a uh, huge amount of lumbering, so much so that 
right now we've only got about three percent of the original trees old growth trees that were uh, in northern california in other words 97 percent have have been cut <laughs> and so we're mostly just at this point scrapping over second growth if we're lucky and third and fourth growth in some places <clears throat> uh, and so the way it came into state hands is at some point uh the um the land really wasn't valuable anymore there wasn't that much left to uh cut and they they weren't even paying the taxes on it and so they worked out a deal to sell it to the state and in that original arrangement the state uh needed to agree that it was going to be continually used uh for uh um looking into silvicultural practices but primarily logging and uh possibly somebody can pick it up from there so i'd love to add to that paul because i think something that's really important for people in the audience to kind of understand this is marie jones just so you have my my name with my face and my my sound with my voice i guess um is that it, it had a dual use purpose the the designation of the forest and a big portion of that was recreational purposes as well and and i think what's unusual about this area now that's slated for logging in the coming three to four years is that it's a pretty big significant swath of property that runs basically from the egg take station at highway 20 if you know where that is all the way to the woodlands and it is essentially most of the trails that people in our community either like to mountain bike on, hike on, ride their horses, get together with their family for a nice outing. Um, and people access it from all over on the coast. Some people access it from Highway 20. Some people access it from Simpson Lane. Some areas that are slated for logging are accessed from East Casper, some from the Woodlands and Little River Road. And so there's a lot of people who use these trails who have no idea that they're slated for logging. So I do want to emphasize that the Jackson's Demonstration State Forest has not made a great effort to get the word out. And so the Trails Committee, um, we are trying to get the word out so people understand that our very special places are slated for some pretty serious destruction. And I don't use that word lightly. I think the other thing that's unusual about these locations is that the, many of them were not logged in the past 90 years. And so they have the big and beautiful, very tall, robust, majestic redwood trees that many of us love in our community and feel, you know, attached to when we're out there hiking, to be blunt about it. And when you take these kinds of trees down, you really change the forest. And, um, you know, I really love to hear about that history of you know how this forest has changed in the last 50 years do you do you want to talk about that a little bit maybe gene would be a good one. yeah gene maybe you could dive well, in. i know i know when i arrived here in uh, 1970 this is being heavily logged mm -hmm. and uh, it looked like a war zone out there all over it and particularly on the western edge and in the last 50 years, there has been quite a bit of growth back, second growth, third growth in some places, and probably even fourth growth. And there's now finally, after all these years, 
a forest that is beginning to look healthy again. And uh, not just the trees, but the, the forest floor, which is an essential part. There's so many components to a forest. And I, I have to admit, I was one of the ones that worked out in the woods back in those days. And uh, I, I, I'm not down on loggers at all. I mean, they're just human beings like anybody else. I've known some really wonderful people that were in the logging industry and still do. But we enjoyed a, a period of very, very days. Like you would literally get 40 days and 40 nights of rain, hard rain. We don't get that anymore. So these trees that we have now have enjoyed that period of, uh, of wet climate, which we no longer have. So when they take these trees, I fear that it's going to be very difficult for them to regenerate again as quickly as they had in the past. Uh, and, and that, uh, coupled with the fact that the trees are so much more valuable, not only for aesthetics, but for uh, sequestering carbon, we really need them. And the big trees are the ones that sequester the most carbon, and they're essential to the health of the forest. And I just think that it's folly to cut these trees at this point. They're worth so much more standing than they are taken out. You know, that might be a really good segue if, if you feel complete enough, Gene, to, to bring in Sam, because the, the whole issue of, you know, what the trees are worth and whether... No, I think it's perfect. Okay, great. So, Sam Goldberger. Well, um... We're on the threshold of a major change globally. Uh, and on the one hand, it looks like a disaster. And on the other hand, it looks like something wonderful may be coming into existence. And I think part of that has to do with the very thing you're talking about. Uh, my guidepost when I get depressed during COVID times or watching in television is from Lao Tzu, who said to the caterpillar, it looks like the end of the world. To the world, it looks like a butterfly. And I'm seeing the emergence of the butterfly, and the butterfly is emerging from its chrysalis, and one of the tools to help it emerge is this thing called ecosystem services valuation. And it arises from the fact that we've got an economic system that simply does not recognize the value of nature um, and can't put a price on it. And because there's no price on it, one thinks that it's free, but it isn't free. And for want of understanding that value, the way that we interact with it is destructive. And I think increasing numbers of people are realizing that in a very personal way or in a global way. Uh, and I've seen all kinds of things that are very encouraging coming out of Europe because they don't have Trump to suppress everything uh, that are saying Every business needs to be able to take into account environment, as well as social equity, as well as transparency of governance. And there are trillions of dollars that are beginning to flow in that direction. So ecosystem services is probably the least understood and least well-measured portion of that. It's something I've been working on for many years, and uh, we have seen that it is a powerful tool for changing minds when you compare 
the value of human resources, of humanly generated resources on the one side, against existing natural resources on the other. And it is attracting increasing attention uh, on a number of fronts, including at the California Employee State Pension Fund, who appeared in some of these international webinars that I've been watching. Uh, and one, look, money isn't going to change minds, uh, nor is it necessarily going to dictate policy, but it is going to dictate the approach one takes to issues like this one. So you were saying about the fact that the big trees are the ones that are most efficient at, at conserving carbon. And it also turns out that they communicate with the little trees and they can supply needed resources to them to form the forest community. And so my view is we need to be able to, we, need, we can see that, we can feel that if we go out there. It's an enormously invigorating place to be. Uh, but we need to be able to communicate it as well. And one of the ways to communicate it is by pointing out the community value rather than thinking about board feet. Uh, so I could bore you to death, but I don't want to. I just want to. No, that's not boring at all. Question. Not at all. Okay. Let me, let me uh, jump in here quickly. Uh, I just want to let people know, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Ecology Hour. I'm your guest host, Paul Shulman, and we're talking to the Mendocinos trail stewards about new logging that's planned for the Jackson Demonstration State Forest and how that will impact our environment. All right, who wants to jump in now? Well, I'd love to jump in a little bit more because um, right. I want to piggyback off of some of the things that Sam mentioned about ecosystem services and the importance of them. So the areas that are slated for logging are, are about 1,500 acres, which you can imagine the size of your own property and probably multiply that by a pretty significant margin. You can get a sense of how big a space that is. Um, and that's for three timber harvest plans that are coming up um, right away. And then there are another three coming up later. So that'll be another 1,500 acres on top of that. Um, and I just want to mention a few things about what are some of the um, ecosystem services of this forest that we have right now. Um, and one, some of the challenges that we have with Jackson Demonstration Forest's um, mm -hmm. way of analyzing these areas for their timber harvest plan. So, for example, they have not done any of the botanical or biological surveys that are required of any other type of development under the California Environmental Quality Act. So, essentially, they're approving cuttings without even knowing where the rare plants are, where the federal listed animals or birds are located. And they're saying they're gonna do the surveys after the fact. Well, this really isn't allowed by CEQA, it's illegal. And so what they're doing is frankly very sloppy and I think they've gotten away with it for years because people haven't been paying attention. And people are paying attention about these tracts of land because they're so close to us and because we utilize them so much for these ecosystem services that Sam's talking about in terms of recreation and, and spiritual experiences when you're out in the forest and hunting mushrooms and whatever it is that people um, like to do out in the forest. And you know, the reason these botanical studies are important is because they identify rare plants that need to be protected or rare mammals or rare birds and uh, it's inappropriate to do them after the fact. 
Additionally, the timber harvest plans call on the timber harvest operator to do the surveys. So, yes, quizzical expression from the hostess. Well, they're not, they're yeah. not equipped to. They have no That expertise. is, frankly, like leaving the fox to guard the hen house. Now, I have hens. I definitely don't want the fox in there with my hands. I want the fox out in the woods. Um, and the problem here is you really need to have a third party that's independent, who's not employed by the timber harvest company to do right. things like look for birds before trees are cut down to make sure that there aren't rare birds nesting in those trees. I have a hard time imagining a logging operator being able to cut trees down while watching for birds. I just don't see it happening. So essentially it's not gonna happen. And so it's not, it's not that this group of people is against timber harvesting per se, as Jean mentioned, it's that it needs to be appropriate. And it especially needs to be appropriate in a demonstration forest that's state owned. This is not privately owned property. This is property that's owned by us, the residents and citizens of the state of California. And so we really wanna encourage people to get involved um, find out what's happening in your local timber harvest plan right next door to you, probably, that you may take a bike or ride a horse on once a month or maybe twice a week. You don't even know that it's slated for this. And we do have a web page um, at the end of the show. Uh, Paul's going to mention the address for that. And we do have a petition we're putting together. Some of these timber harvest plans are coming up for decision in January and March, and we really encourage people to write letters. Um, uh, in advance of those. Um, so we're serious about uh, holding J Jackson Demonstration State Forests accountable to the state of California's laws with regard to timber harvest. I mean, to me- I, I wanna jump in and just uh, add to that, Marie, that uh, the, the Casper plan is already okayed and, and is going into motion. Uh, and that uh, the the comment period is over on that plan. Unfortunately, very few of us knew about the comment period and that it was even happening. Go ahead, I'm, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh no, I think that's really important to say. Um, that plan is 500 acres um, up Fern Creek Road. If anybody goes to the scales, if you know where that is and you hike out or bike out from there, um, you're pretty much going to say goodbye to those areas in terms of having a really wonderful recreational experience. Um, and the scales is where the, the uh, gazebo is there right. when you go into the, the, the uh, entrance to the forest. Yeah, and if you're out there, you'll be able to see the trees that are slated for cutting because they have a big blue spray paint slash across the top and a dot on the bottom. So that shows you which trees are going to get cut. And um, some of us have been out there and we've been measuring some of the trees and uh, some of these trees are very, very big. Um, I, I don't know if any of you guys have the exact dimensions, but I seem to recall like six feet in circumference is the measurement of some of these trees. So literally two six feet in diameter, diameter and diameter. diameter. Okay, so, so three or four feet in circumference that our diameter, right? Diameter, six feet in diameter. So that's more like 27 feet in circumference. 3.14 yeah. times, right, times the six. diameter. So that gives you a sense that these are really big second growth trees. We're not talking little sticks. We're talking really big trees. And, um, and so again, just really encouraging people to get involved. And uh, I think a lot of people move up here because they are, um, 
they love to experience nature yeah. in many of its forms, and this is an important part of our natural community. Uh, well, I know Cal Fire is intent on taking these trees uh, for several reasons. One, because it's the way they've always done it. Uh, it's just uh, the protocol that, that they understand. And they depend on those trees for funding for their operations, which I think is completely wrong. Uh, these trees are no longer a renewable resource. I really don't think that they are. I think that with the climate the way it is, uh, I really firmly believe that uh, they're, they're just not going to return. I'll never see them in my lifetime, and my grandkids probably won't either. Yeah. Let, let me mention, uh, if I may, the, the other timber harvest plans. We were talking about the Casper 500 logging plan that's up, up at the scales that um, – uh, the the comment period was back in uh, it was right when COVID first hit and it just wasn't nobody was aware of it uh, and then we've also got um, let's see and in, in there's the Mitchell Creek plan and then there's the little North Fork Big River plan and those are both uh, still open for comment but maybe only for a very short while. Um, and then we have the one that's in planning for jug handle, and then there's one in rail, rail, railroad gulch as well, and then lastly the Thompson Berry Gulch plan. And, and all Paul, together, the information for that is on the website too, I think. Yeah, and all that. of that, and and altogether it's about 4.6 square miles just for those six plans, and uh, they're going to affect. Uh, the watersheds of Big River, Casper Creek, Mitchell Creek, Jug Handle Creek, and Hare Creek are all very much affected by these plans. And some of the plans are contiguous. Uh, so, and that's another issue that we're having with, with, with this is that uh, in that they're all individual plans, uh, CAL FIRE isn't having to address the cumulative impacts, even though they're all going to be within the same relative you know three-year time period probably uh, so that anyway that's another issue let me mention again that uh, you're listening to the ecology hour and uh, my name is Paul Shulman I'm guest hosting with uh, other members of the Mendocino trail stewards uh, Marie Marie Jones and uh, we got Gene Parsons and Sam Goldberger with us, and we're talking about logging that's planned for the Jackson Demonstration State Forest and the impacts and what we're proposing to do about that. And so I guess that would be, would, it might be appropriate. We've got the issue of all these individual harvest plans and, you know, trying to dig into them. And there's people in our group that are doing a lot of research and, um, and all that. And it's really important to to fight them on an individual basis. Uh, but then there's also a bigger picture that that we're coming up with for the, uh, the entire Western area. We're proposing that it could be put into some sort of redwood preserve where uh, logging was rarely, if ever, done. And the forest, what we're demonstrating instead would be uh, 
you know, good stewardship of the land and, you know, uh, awareness of uh, fire, wildfire issues and all of that. So um, does anybody well, want- on, on that issue, the big trees are the most fire resistant. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing about cutting the big trees down is that they provide the shade that can, can help uh, the, the ground area, you know, stay moist and not get all dried out. It, you know, it's, it's, if you look at the big picture, there's just no uh, upside uh, to taking the big trees other than making money for, you know, that'll probably end up in just a few people's pockets, really, realistically. Yeah, and if people want to see what um, these areas look like after a timber harvest plan has occurred, we do have some photographs of some of the recently completed timber harvest plans on our website. Um, and you can see uh, literally they've cut down log decks of um, dug fir and just left them because they consider dug fir trees a waste tree. And these are really big trees that could have served that purpose. And instead of um, being more, um, having a better husbandry approach to forestry. They've just cut them down and left them to rot uh, in a big log deck. And so that's just an example of kind of a, a wasteful, short-sighted process because they want it to be all redwoods. They don't want any tree diversity in um, the forest. And of course, what people are starting to understand is that forests are not crop plants. They're not like grass or wheat or um, oats or soybeans, they're actually communities that are deeply entwined at the root system. Um, and there are, uh, we now think of trees as plant communities instead of just forest stands, for example. And so it's how these different tree types interact with each other and also with the undergrowth and the actual mushrooms, the mycelium and the forest floor that um, break down all of the um, waste plant material and release nutrients in, into the floor of the soil. Um, so I, I think the demonstration part of Jackson State Forest has gotten a little far from its mission and we wanna try and help them with a course correction. We wanna try and encourage them to comply with California Environmental Quality Act laws instead of trying to circumvent them. And also for the long term, I think we are looking for trying to influence legislators to make this change to a portion of the forest so that it is demonstrating more of a preserve restoration rather than timber production. As well, in, in, in 50 years, wouldn't it be wonderful if, if uh, people could look back and say, look what we did 50 years ago. My goodness, we uh, had this diverse, wonderful community of, uh, in the forest and uh we sequestered all this carbon dioxide and it's just uh we really have to to begin to behave in a different way now because we're in a, a completely different world than we were 50 or more years ago i don't know if any of you have ever seen what it looks like when they log out there i have because i've actually been involved in it but it's not just the trees when they go down the trees have to be moved into a landing and they have to be pulled there with a cat. The cat tears up the forest floor. The forest floor is very fragile. There's a lot of diversity of growth, uh, all kinds of, of uh, plants and animals that live in the forest floor and they don't react well to a D8 
plummeting over the top of them, dragging logs. So there's a lot of damage to the forest floor that occurs. It takes many, many years to uh, rejuvenate if it ever does. Yeah. And, and the other piece I think, um, you know, Paul hinted at this is the fact that there's six timber harvest plans all slated basically for the same location. And so they're able to kind of not look at things like the overall impact of the harvest plans instead of looking at impacts of each one individually. So what's the overall impact of all these harvest plants happening at the same time on recreational activities in the forest, for example, um, on stormwater uh, um, mitigation, on plant ecology and botany and bird nesting locations, et cetera, et cetera. And that also is, frankly, uh, in contradiction to CEQA. So we really want to you know, bring Jackson State into the 20th century and have them be complying with the regulations. And uh, if we need to, we will sue them. And we've actually built a coalition of about uh, 20 organizations that have come on board and want to participate. Um, we recognize that suing won't stop them long term. And that's why we want to work legislatively as well. So we have a comprehensive strategy. And in fact, if you want to come out and meet us face to face with social distancing, we are going to be at the scales starting on Friday, Saturday, Thursday, Thursday Friday and Saturday from yeah. nine until I think four every day. Nine with till three. Table. Nine till three. Nine till three. Sorry. Yeah. That's okay. Paul's organizing this. Um, but, thank you, Paul. And weather permitting. And we weather know. permitting. Yeah. And, and then Thursday also you can look at our website too. So yeah. I don't know if you want to give out the address for that, Paul. Absolutely. It's very easy. If you can just remember the name of our group, it's Mendocino Trail Stewards.org. And, and I'll give a plug to the website uh, and, and, and a kudos to uh, uh, one of our key people, Chad Swimmer, who put it together. It, it's just a fabulous site. It's very comprehensive. It's easy to navigate, even for somebody like me. And, uh, and it's constantly updated. And so it's, we're, we're trying to have it be as much as possible the go-to place for anybody that wants to hear, you know, what's going on and what they can do about it. And, um, and the other, the other thing I want to mention is that, uh, like Marie said, that we're part of a, a, a building coalition right now. And, and some of the people that we're coalescing with are, you know, it's really, uh, helpful to, you know, we're, we're connected with, uh, Epic Environmental Protection and Information Center up in Arcata and, uh, also with Forest Forever and Forest Unlimited and, and many other groups, uh, the Autobahn, many people, from all different uh, angles are seeing value in this forest and, and, and it's worth in protecting. Uh, another um, a thing that really got my bells ringing and it might for you listeners that are familiar with the Mendocino Woodlands, which is uh, originally a, a WPA camp that was built in the thirties uh, east of Mendocino. And it's famously been the home for all manner of um, gatherings, including Lark in the Morning and, you know, the Mushroom Club and you, you name it. There's There's been things going on out there, dance 
uh, groups and music groups and everything else, spiritual groups. So if you've ever been out to the Mendocino Woodlands and really appreciated it and enjoyed it, know that three of these proposed timber harvest plans surround it. Three of them actually touch the border, I believe, of it. And and so it, the likely impact on, on just that uh, beautiful spot alone uh, is, is alarming to me. Paul, if I could add to that, I'd yeah. like to say that uh, there didn't used to be a lot of people that, w- that visited the forest back when, and now there's myriads of people from all over, all over the world coming here to recreate and to enjoy the, the, uh, the forest, and that it actually has uh, been a mainstay now for our economy, and that to damage this forest, especially close to the communities of Casper and Mendocino and Fort Bragg, so badly at this point is going to have a, a very adverse effect on our economy. Uh, logging is not the big deal that it used to be anymore. It's a, a very small part of the Mendocino County economy. And anyone wants to jump in on that, but uh, I, I, I just see it as a go ahead, Sam. Sam might have some things that, to share on, on that. Two things. One, one, I think it's really important. Um, I don't know if the, our listeners have ever been on Manly Gulch Trail. But if you haven't, it's one of my most favorite trails in Jackson State Forest, and it goes straight down to the woodlands. It is a beautiful, beautiful trail that goes through a number of interesting different ravines with a lot of very large trees. And you can see all the trees that are slated for removal on that trail. They've already um, painted them all. And, um, you know, get to know your forest if you haven't been out there because you might not get another chance. Hopefully Mm -hmm. you will. Hopefully we'll be able to stop these. Um, and I hope you all get involved as well. Um, so I just wanted to give a shout out for Manly Gulch because yeah. it's just a really stunning place. And in my experience, one of a kind on the coast. Thanks for that. I'd like to hear from Sam if, if you got some things to add. Well, um, you're right to recognize that recreation is one of the ecosystem services. And it has a value, and it ripples outwards in all the ways that you've said. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm only hesitating because, first of all, I don't have anywhere near the experience with this source that you guys do. I'm a newcomer, and uh, so I end up talking more theoretically than practically, and for which I apologize. But at the same time, there's another dimension to this that I think it's worth mentioning. And it has to do with the bigger picture. Uh, as, I indic- as I tried to indicate in my initial remarks, I really see us as being on the threshold of a very important shift. And we're seeing the local version of that shift, but there's a global version of that shift too. And if you wouldn't mind indulging me, I came across something from uh, that Aldo Leopold wrote in the Sam County Almanac in 1948 the year before I was born, and it was published in the year that I was born, that speaks to this in a very compelling way. I'm not trying to divert attention from the pragmatics, but I am wanting to try to engage it from a larger perspective. Is that agreeable, Paul? Absolutely. Okay, so I just have to get back to my Kindle, where I have it all queued up. And this is in the introduction from the San County Almanac, the very end of that 
introduction, and he writes as follows. Conservation is getting nowhere because it is incompatible with our Abrahamic concept of land. We abuse land because we regard it as a commodity belonging to us. When we see land as a community to which we belong, we may begin to use it with love and respect. There's no other way for land to survive the impact of mechanized man, nor for us to reap from it the aesthetic harvest of which it is capable, under science, of contributing to culture. That land is a, is a community is the basic concept of ecology, but that land be loved and respected is an extension of ethics. The land that yields a cultural harvest is a fact long known, but latterly often forgotten. Such a view of land and people is, of course, subject to the blurs and distortions of personal experience and personal bias. But wherever the truth may lie, this much is crystal clear. Our bigger and better society is now like a hypochondriac, so obsessed with its own economic health as to have lost the capacity to remain healthy. The whole world is so greedy for more bathtubs that it has lost the stability to build them or even turn off the tap. Nothing could be more sanitary at this stage than little community contempt for a plethora of material blessings. Perhaps such a shift of values can be achieved by reappraising things unnatural, tame, and confined in comparison to things natural, wild, and free. How wonderful. How, and that brings it all into focus. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, thank you for that. You're welcome. And thank him. Mm-hmm. And who was that again? Who wrote that? Robert, that was uh, Aldo Leopold. Aldo Leopold. Oh, yeah. I regard I, him as a, as a poetic ecologist. And uh, I have another piece, if you'd like me to read it, that's, uh, that uh, is from uh, our friend uh, Gary Snyder. Yes. Uh, who I regard as a uh, ecological poet. Shall I do that, or shall we wait? Sure. If it, if What's our time at this point? Oh, we got about, about 20 minutes. Oh, we're good. Yeah. Yeah, go for we it. We could also yeah. take some calls, maybe. Uh, Are there any, does anybody want to call in? <laughs> Why don't I just finish this one? It won't. Yes, I'd like to hear Sam finish that, and then maybe we could take some calls. It completes the cycle. Um, good. And, and this one is from Turtle Island one of his most famous books, and it's called Prayer for the Great Family. <clears throat> it's based on a Mohawk prayer that he has adapted for our current situation. Gratitude to Mother Earth sailing through night and day and to her soil, rich, rare, and sweet. In our minds, so be it. Gratitude to plants, the sun-facing, light-changing leaf, and the fine root hairs, Standing still through wind and rain, their dance is in the flowing spiral grain. In our minds, so be it. Gratitude to air, bearing the soaring swift and the silent owl at dawn. Sorry. Breath of our song, clear spirit breeze. To our minds, so be it. Gratitude to the wild beings, our brothers, teaching secrets, freedoms, and ways, who share with us their milk self-complete, brave, and aware. In our minds, so be it. Gratitude to water, clouds, lakes, rivers, glaciers, holding or releasing, 
streaming through all our bodies, salty seeds. In our minds, so be it. Gratitude to the sun, blinding, pulsing light through trunks of trees, through mists, warming caves where bears and snakes sleep. He who wakes us, in our minds, so be it. Gratitude to the great sky, who holds billions of stars and goes yet beyond that, beyond all powers and thoughts, and yet is within us. Grandfather's space, the mind is his wife. So be it. Beautiful. I think we have some calls on the line there, Paul. We do? Yes, we do. Okay. Hello. Who do we have I, there? I call hey, is this me? It is you. So I have a couple questions if you're ready to receive them. Yes. I'm wondering if you can, I've kind of got half an ear to the show, and I'm wondering if you can reintroduce kind of the whole premise. Basically, I just looked on the website for the organization you've been talking about. I was mm-hmm. able to scroll through. I saw the one photo with the rather large tree marked mm-hmm. for cutting, from what I understand. And, you know, request to sign a petition, some contact information. It looked like there's more than one timber harvest plan in multiple forests. So I'm wondering if if you could mention what those are again, give some contact information again. And in particular, I'm wondering, is there a point of contact person or organization? Is it just the one trail organization trying to... Um, address this and also that the public comment period uh, when that ends some of that just wasn't clear to me even looking at the website and it looks like you're up against a pretty tight window to organize some kind of uh, yes opposition to let me try to address that's a lot of questions reintroduce all that and get that information out I'd really appreciate it good good question yeah so, so we're talking about it's all, all of these. We have six, six separate timber harvest plans that are being proposed. Some are one, one is already approved. Two of them ha, are, are, we can comment on right now, but it's a tight window. And then there's three more that are in the planning stage. Uh, and they're all in the western end of Jackson Demonstration State Forest. Uh, they're affecting the the um, the watersheds of Big River, Casper Creek, Mitchell Creek, Jug Handle Creek, and Hare Creek. So, on the website, uh, you know, if you get more familiar with it, there's a, a section talking about THPs, timber harvest plans, and then then the ones that can be commented on are listed separately. And there's even um, tips on how to comment on. On, and there's even a glossary. There's quite a bit of information there uh, lining it out. Uh, we also have a petition that is being sponsored by uh, EPIC, Environmental Protection and Information Center. We have a link to that. Um, and then we also have a proposal. We haven't talked too much about this, but to, to turn the whole western end, about 15,000 acres, into something like, say the Casper Redwood Forest Preserve, or you know, we're 
trying out different names, but the idea is to actually change the designation of uh, that that area of the forest. At, and to, just to follow up on some of your other questions, so the two yeah. lands that are open for comment right now are the Simpson Lane Timber Harvest Plan and the Little Little River Little River Harvest Plan. Oh, the Little North Fork, Big River. Little North Fork, I'm sorry, Timber yeah. Harvest Plan. Um, the Mitchell Creek Plan, we thought it was going to close in December. It looks like it's actually going to close in the middle of January. We already have 33 letters that have been submitted. Many of them are very technical in nature because we're trying to create a record so that we can have the ability to sue on them later. We haven't necessarily started commenting on the, on the Little North Fork yet because it just, you know, it takes a lot of time to organize. Um, there's also a survey on the website, just got put up today, where you can um, indicate how often you go to which sections of the forest and what you do in those and whether you bring visitors or not so that we can start to get sort of a measure of how much use they're getting to um, make our argument. And um, yeah, so the letters need to happen now. Um, we're working with a whole range of organizations, um, so that includes EPIC, that includes Forest Forever, Forest Unlimited, the Audubon Society, the Sierra Club, Gigantle Creek Farm, um, and a whole number of other organizations. So we've done quite a lot of coalition building essentially in about six weeks um, since we really became aware of this. And I, I would say that momentum is building because as people become aware of the fact that the forest and the areas that they've been using are, are threatened. They're very engaged. Like I've been involved in a lot of volunteer efforts in my life in the past and never have I been involved in a, one like this where people say, I'm gonna do this by Tuesday and lo and behold, it's done by Tuesday. No one had to call them and remind them or anything. So people are really serious about actually doing work to help with this. And if, if anybody wants to help us out, um, we have open meetings. Anybody can come. They happen about every two weeks as we kind of try and prepare plans and keep things going. And, and I have to give a shout out to Chad Swimmer because he's really the guy who started this and also is kind of our master of ceremonies that keeps the meetings happening and keeps everybody organized. And uh, so he's just an awesome guy and happens to be my neighbor. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I hope I, we answered all your questions. And, and, I and these meetings are safe distancing, so they're yeah. completely safe. We have a caller, another caller on the line. Hello, caller. Hi there. Thanks for taking my call. So I'm really pleased to hear that the uh, comment period has been extended for the Mitchell Creek um, Timber Harvest Plan. When I sent in, uh, emailed in my... Uh, comments. Um, the main connecting person for Jackson State Forest was listed as Julia Rhodes, whose address, uh, mail email address, was just not functional at all. Um, so I went on the Jackson uh, website to um, to see how to contact, how to best get this email sent to her. Um, and when I went on to that website, uh, there were listed a number of different people, all with that shared last name of Rhodes, which I found to be very interesting, and I didn't know what to make of that. Um, but also, my point in calling is because that, that was suspicious to me, 
um, who are these people, the roads, and why are there why is there seeming to be a a, a lot of interrelated people um, that are listed there. But the other thing was that I sent my comments in on the 23rd, which was supposedly, I was told, the last day of comment. And I'm really, really pleased to know that that's been extended. And could is it possible to give that information on how to include Julia Rhodes in the um, actual, uh, with the accurate um, email address, because evidently she is the contact person for Jackson State in this THP. And I'll take my answer on the radio. Thank you. You bet. We, we have her contact on our website it, it, under, under the section about the timber harvest plans and how to comment on them. We also have all the contacts for the people that need to be contacted. So hopefully that'll be self-explanatory i don't know uh anything about the other roads but julie Rhodes is somebody that we have been dealing with because she's the author of uh, at least one of the timber harvest plans that we're addressing yeah so i have the emails here so you want to send them first to cal fire which is santa rosa public comment at fire.ca.gov would you, would you repeat Rosa's. that, Marie? Repeat sure. that again. Santa Rosa public comment at fire.ca.gov. And it's Julie Rhodes, G-U-L-I-E, Rhodes, R-H-O-A-D-S, at fire.ca.gov. Um, we have now, this is a, the Mitchell Creek uh, plan. No, yeah, we have a whole plan. list of people that you should um, email. If you look under the Mitchell Creek THP, on MendocinoTrailStewards.org. Um, and we also encourage people to CC those letters to your Board of Supervisors representative, to Bob Merrill at the Coastal Commission, um, to Fish and Wildlife, John Hendricks at California Department of Fish and Wildlife, um, and also to our, ourselves at MendocinoTrailStewards at gmail.com because we're keeping a compendium of all the letters that are submitted. Yeah, and we may have time point. enough for one more caller at least. Yeah. Barely. If they can make it quick. Okay. I'll make a quick question. Um, I don't know if it's going to be quick answered, but the question is, if this acreage sequesters so much carbon, and um, obviously we don't put much monetary value on it, but there is monetary value there to possibly be sold or rented to companies in the state who are creating tons of carbon and that money go to Cal Fire, I mean, I, I'm just trying to figure out what a solution path might be. I mean, if you cut the trees down and the money goes to Cal Fire, they want that money. If the trees stay and companies like um, Chevron are forced by the California Air Quality Board um, to reduce their footprint, in a matter of several days, and they have the ability to rent or or purchase this property in a trust um, so that it can sequester the carbon um, that they're creating in the air. Um, is this a path, a solution? Is this how we can 
uh, use the monetary value while keeping the forest in place. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Colin. Real this, quick, that's a yeah. super idea. Unfortunately, the way timber harvest plans work or the way Cal Fire works is actually if you buy the timber harvest plan and don't cut down the trees, they sue you for it. So we actually have to change legislatively how they operate in order to make that work. But I think it's an awesome idea. And Gene, do you want to add to that? Well, I just wanted to say that it's it's not really in Cal Fire's power to do anything about that because they have a certain system, I believe, that they work uh, under. It has to be changed from uh, high up, and it, it's only going to be changed if there's public pressure to do so. So I say, by all means, it's a wonderful plan, and mm -hmm. we've even talked about that sort of a thing, but it has to be done from higher up. How are we doing for time? Well, I think uh, we got ab about five minutes or so, and leave a little less. So I want to make sure to get uh, as much information out as I can right now about uh, how people can uh, can look into all this. Um, our website again, the Mendocino Trail Stewards org. It's very comprehensive. Uh, so spend a little time there and investigate every part of it. It's also very entertaining, and, and there's beautiful photographs, uh, you know, that show a lot of the reasons why we love the Jackson Demonstration State. It's board. a way cool website. Yeah. And, and, and uh, also I wanted to mention that we have a really nice article that Chad wrote uh, in the Real Estate Magazine, the January issue of the Real Estate Magazine. It's a freebie all around the county, or at least on the coast, I know. And uh, if you pick that up, there's a very comprehensive article about everything that we're talking about um, that I would I would like everybody to read. And then another point is the the governor put out a proclamation, I believe it was in October, uh, you know, really wanting to uh, prioritize climate change and carbon sequestration. And so it just feels like the time is right. You know, that we, we need to make a change at the statewide level, and this is the time to put that kind of pressure on. And maybe we can affect the whole the whole Jackson demonstration state forest. Well, I think Why it not? can be a win-win situation. Yeah. And I really want to thank KZYX for this program. Thank you, guys. Thank you, indeed. Yes. yes. And, and thank uh, you. All our callers and everybody that, uh, that tuned in. And a Happy New Year. Alicia Bales, uh, who's been engineering from the uh, remote studio in Ukiah. And we really appreciate her helping us put this all together. Um, and possibly at some point in the future, if the time is right, we'd be open to coming and doing another show. Uh, we'll know a whole lot more because at this point, we're, we're learning things every day and, and uh, trying to get the information out to the public as quick as we can because time is of the essence anybody else got anything to add oh i'll just thanks so much it's been a real joy and and i hope people get out on the trails and check them out and check out our website and help us it's a beautiful right. forest out there you just gotta go and see it and and experience it it's a wonderful place and so this has been the Ecology Hour. Uh, I've been guest hosting. My name is Paul Schulman, joined here with by Gene Parsons, Marie Jones, Sam Goldberger. 
All of us are members of the Mendocino Trail Stewards, a new group that is uh, hoping to bring awareness about the Jackson Demonstration State Pool. So uh, thanks for tuning in, and uh, please contact us if you can. Defend the earth, do what you can, do what you must, but just do something to defend the earth.